Because earlier on in the story, he's been proved as very wise and he's a civil servant. He's been put in charge of lots of important stuff. So um, it seems a bit harsh, but that's like the kind of tyrant that all of these kings were that we saw on the board. It was, uh, yeah, lots of stuff like that went on. So when Ariok, who's the head of the guards, comes to drag off Daniel and his friends to certain death, they're a bit puzzled as to why this is happening. Um, they, so they ask him, what's the cause of this harsh decree? And Ariok explains that the king's anger is caused by the fact that the Mago can't interpret the dream. So Daniel goes off and he asks the king for a bit more time to interpret it. So King Nebuchadnezzar gives him 24 hours because he really would actually quite like to know what the dream means. And so Daniel goes back to his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You may have heard of them in regard to a fiery furnace. Um, and they cry out to God that he'd have mercy on the four of them and on the other Magi. And God answers their prayers. So during the night, Daniel has a vision, vision in which the contents of the king's dream and its meaning is revealed to him. And Daniel does a little dance, I expect, and praises God. He says, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You've given me wisdom and power. You've made known to me what we asked of you. You've made known to us the dream of the king. So Darius, uh, so Darius. So Daniel goes to see the king. He says, are you able to tell me what the dream is and interpret it? And Daniel says, no man, Enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he's asked about, but there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. So on hearing the dream and its interpretation, the king declares Daniel very wise. Again, he'd done that earlier in his reign, but then kind of forgotten about it, it seems. Um, and he makes him the ruler of the province of Babylon, and his chief wise man after this. Now, the contents of the dream and its interpretation, which you can kind of see up there, it's enough for a whole other talk in itself, and that's not really what I'm going to talk about today. But suffice to say, it was about the future kingdoms of the earth, and ending with ushering in the kingdom that will never end, which is the kingdom of Jesus. Hello, <laughs> <laughs> back. And here's the second bit of Daniel's story that we're going to talk about. So this is Daniel in the lion's den. I hear you all draw lovely, drew lovely lions earlier. Probably <laughs> well, not so lovely. Um, <laughs> and this part of Daniel's story is probably the most famous bit, isn't it? So this can be found in Daniel chapter 6. Um, and I'll read for, partly from it and I'll summarise it partly. So it pleased Darius, who was one of the later kings, to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom. The satraps like, I don't know, like a governor. And the satraps had three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. And at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in the conduct of his government affairs, but they couldn't do it. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it's something to do with the law of his God. So the scheming satraps get the king to pass a law that says that no one is allowed to worship anyone or anything apart from King Darius for 30 days. 
Now, Daniel hears about this decree. He goes home. He goes up to the upstairs room where the windows face Jerusalem. And he gets down on his knees and prays, as he does three times a day, as is his custom. Then the, the satraps see him praying. And they go to the king and say, we've caught your friend Daniel. He has gone against this royal decree. And the king answers, you know, Daniel, he's one of my favorite advisors. I don't want to put him in the lion's den, but then these guys point out that he's made the law and he can't actually go back on the law, even though he's the king. And the king is greatly distressed because he likes Daniel and he's very trustworthy. You want people like that in your kingdom. But in the end, he has to go and punish him. And so he has to throw him into the lion's den. But before he does that, the king says to him, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. So, in Daniel goes, the stone's placed, brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and it's sealed so that no one can rescue Daniel in the middle of the night. Um, and the king goes back to his palace, but he can't sleep. And he doesn't have any entertainment brought to him at all. And the next morning, at first thing, he runs to the tomb and he says... Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, who you serve, serve continually, be a, been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answers, may the, may the king live forever. My God sent his angels and he shut the mouths of the lions. They've not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king is overjoyed at this. He gives orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel is lifted out of the den, no wound is on him because he's trusted in God. And after this, King Darius chucks the scheming satraps and their families into the lion's den instead, and they are promptly killed. And then he sends a letter to the whole of his empire, which commands people to revere Yahweh. It says, for he's the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He's rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So... These are only a few of the things that Daniel did in his life. They're only snapshots, snapshots, snapshots of it. <laughs> snapshots? They had yeah. Yeah, it sends a little picture from inside the lion's den. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag lion's den. Yeah, hashtag lion's den. Hashtag God protects. Like in between the life or death situations, there were boring times 
there were times when it must have seemed like he'd been forgotten by the king or nothing really happened. But sometimes we've got to think about this in terms of these boring times and the times sometimes when God is training us for the exciting times and the difficult times and the, the times where we're called upon to, to do things that are really out of our comfort zone. Because I would love actually to do amazing things for God and be used mightily by him and influence important people and perform amazing miracles when people, you know, I just imagine myself like I come upon a car accident and someone is lying dead in the room and I pray and they're raised up and of course they give the glory to God. <laughs> I raised someone from the dead. <laughs> so, so <laughs> but you know, but so, I mean, looking at these stories, we can be really, I think, overawed by all of the stuff that Daniel sort of does. You know, he look, just looks really impressive. And, you know, in all of these situations, he seems so sure that God will come through for him that really, I wanted to look at what's his secret, really. Um, so Ashley reminded us a couple of weeks ago when we heard about um, Hosea marrying a prostitute that God loves you with an everlasting love like an unfathomable love and just like any good loving parent he longs for you all of you to grow and mature so he loves you but doesn't love the things that you do wrong this doesn't mean that he doesn't love you unconditionally and it doesn't mean that he doesn't love you as you are but just like any good parent, he doesn't want you to stay in a state of like immaturity. It's like any more than a good parent loves that their child has a tantrum whenever they don't get their way. You know, the parent loves the child unconditionally, but they don't they don't love the fact that the child is having the tantrums. They they understand that the child needs to mature. And in the same way, God wants you to to become more like Jesus, to mature. It's so good to remind ourselves that God's love is unconditional, though, and that he freely pours out gifts on us. Um, that sometimes we can actually forget that something is required of us as well, and that is actually to decide to follow him and to make the decision to be obedient to the things that he's called us to do. We have to decide to turn away from our sins and to obey God, and we have to decide to make God and our relationship with him like the first priority in our lives. And we have to decide to keep going back to God every time we mess up, because we are going to mess up. We get loads of hints about this in the story from Daniel's life, and how it's his regular custom to set aside loads of time to pray, so he prays morning, noon, and night. And Daniel's made a decision in his life that he's going to take that time for God. And we can see the results of this, because Daniel clearly really knows God's character. He's built up this relationship with him. He understands that he is the God that saves, that he is the God that loves him as a son. And you have to decide as well, I think, that the small things are just as important to God as the big things. So, like I kind of said before, Daniel goes through a bit of a roller coaster, really. He's like, 
declared a wise man and kind of forgotten about by the king who doesn't ask, you know, it would have been so much easier had the king just asked Daniel what the dream meant in the first place. But no, even though he said he's wise, he's forgotten him. And then he's declared wise again, and then the next king comes along and he's kind of forgotten. And then he has to kind of prove himself all over again and remind the next person that God is, you know, who, the God about the God that he served. And it can be, you know, it, it would have been really easy for him as a civil servant as well to kind of take a few backhanders to... Um, maybe not really rule very well to leave someone else to do it and just enjoy the high life. But he doesn't, because when we read about the fact that the scheming satraps are trying to find something on Daniel, they can't find anything on him. He's not corrupt, he's not negligent, he's not untrustworthy. And we, you know, we, need, to, we need to decide that the small stuff is important to God as well and actually decide that, that we are going to ask for God's help in those things. So, you know, even small things, you know, like always buying a train ticket, even between Eden Bridge and Oxford, <laughs> being honest with your t teachers about the true state and location of your homework, and being nice to your parents, <laughs> even then when you feel like they're winding you up. Um, it's not just a witness of God honouring you to everyone around you and also a witness of God's love demonstrated through you. It's, it's actually really good practice of being obedient to God. Like, being obedient in the little things helps you, uh, like, trains you to be obedient and, like, trusting God with the bigger things. Because the thing is, if you're not practising and pursuing holiness, so becoming more like Jesus, in your everyday life, when, say you got thrust into this moment, this big moment where it's, it's like life or death situation, you know, you won't be ready because you won't actually have experienced God coming through for you on the small scale. Then it's really hard to trust God to come through for you on the big scale if you haven't put your trust in him for these little things. So it's almost like we need to exercise our faith, like, we exercise by warming up. You know, it, it is almost a bit like that. You do have to take your faith and act on, on it in these little things as well. <laughs> and you can see Daniel doing this throughout his life, trusting God in every situation. Um, when he's asked God to, for the wisdom to interpret the dream, he didn't really have any other choice. It was that or death at that point. But when you read the record of the lion's den story, you have to think, Daniel, it didn't have to be this way. Surely it wasn't like sinful if you went up to do your prayers and just shut the curtains so no one could see you doing it. You know, what, what was the big deal with that? Then no one would have seen you praying and there wouldn't have been this problem. But we have to decide to demonstrate our faith in God by actually doing the things that he's called us to do and obeying him, even when it seems like a really stupid idea, actually. Because this builds our faith up. Because we believe God's plans are right, that they're good for us. We believe that his commands are excellent. Like several of you, um, within your testimonies, you quoted that verse, you know, for I know the plans that I have for you, so 
plans to you. Props for you, not how you can yeah. yeah. do the Exactly, yeah. That one. And this 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 kind of like obeying God in the little things as well as the big things. It's it's saying like, you know, I, I hear that with that verse and I believe it. When we obey God, and even when it seems like a really bad idea, God will always come through for you. Sometimes in an unexpected way. God rescued Daniel from being hacked to bits along with the other wise men, and God saved Daniel from being crushed by the lions. But God also honoured Daniel in his everyday life, like at the beginning when he decided that he was going to not eat the, the red meat and the wine flowing freely from the king's table, but that he'd just eat vegetables and water. God blessed him with good health and with wisdom through it. So it's not just that God like saves you from stuff, God blesses you through the obediences as well. So this whole series is about how people in the Old Testament foreshadow Jesus and how they point forward towards his coming. And the way Daniel lived his life, relying on God and acting out of faith, is a foreshadowing of how Jesus lived his life. So we read about how Daniel prayed to God every day, three times a day, and we read about how Jesus frequently went off to pray. Because Jesus relied on God, the Father's plans for him. Jesus had decided that he was going to be obedient to God, the Father's plans. He decided that he was going to be obedient to them, even though to other people they looked like madness. And Jesus was sustained through difficult times by praying to his Father for help. Jesus chose to come to earth and die as a sacrifice for our sins, but it wasn't a breeze. So when Jesus knew that the point of his betrayal and death was approaching, it says this. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Did you see? Jesus had decided that he was going to do what his father God wants. But, you know, it's hard for him. He prays for his father, asking if there's any other way. But having decided that he'll do what it takes, Jesus who was fully human and yet fully God, leaned on his father God in times of trouble. And just like Daniel experienced God's plans being worked out, so did Jesus. Although one was rescued from death and one was raised from death. <coughs> so. Is that application slide? Yes. Excellent. Number one. Cultivate your relationship with your father God just like Daniel, just like Jesus. Like, um, in a sense, it is something that happens quite organically. But there is another sense in which you have to plan for it to happen organically. So you do have to decide that you're going to do it, and then you do have to, to uh, decide when and where and how, and kind of work it out, and then, you know, just like you plan to meet up with your friends, you don't 
just wander around and hope that you'll bump into one another. You know, it's kind of that thing. But, um, yeah, but just, you have to decide to do it. It, it does involve some kind of in, input on your part. Um, number two, trust in God's plan for you. You can rely on God and trust that his commands are good and that his plans are good. They're good for you and they'll do others good. You can trust that God has a plan to bring humanity back to him, to bring justice. And you can trust that God has plans specifically for you and those are the plans that are to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope in the future. You can trust that God's plans are wise and that God has the power to bring them to pass. Number three, you can decide to be obedient to God. You can decide to deal with the things that he's, he's bringing to you. Because if, you know, if you've got something on your conscience, if God has put something on your conscience, he hasn't put it there to torment you. He's letting you know that he's there to help you conquer that thing. But not, not in any of this am I saying try harder. Because when I say decide to do these things, you make the decision. You step out and God, God helps you do them. It's mm -hmm. sort of about asking God for help to do these things. But um, this does involve like humbling yourself and asking God to help for help to do it, and then humbling yourself to ask for help again and again because it it's not just going to take one time. You know, sometimes. Um, Sometimes God does miraculously like break you of a habit or you know miraculously um, kill you of being an alcoholic or something like that. That, don't, that totally does happen. But there are some times where the way that God is teaching us is like teaching us to rely on him, to rely on him, to rely on him. And that does involve us deciding like, okay, I'm going to have a go with Jesus' help with the help of the Holy Spirit, but every time I mess up, I'm going to decide to go back to God with it. Yeah. Mm. And it doesn't become... And I think the more that you do it, the more that you remember to do it, and the more you learn to do it, and it doesn't exactly become easier per se, but it becomes more natural to lean on God. Number four. Stay dependent on or stay dependent on God. Maybe that's the right emphasis. Have you noticed that we're children of God? We're not like, I don't know, something adult of God. We're children of God. <laughs> Have you noticed that Jesus was God's son? Our relationship with God was, was like exemplified by Jesus' relationship with his father. I mean, it was a good example. The best example. But unlike our earthly parents, who are trying to train us to be independent, um, God wants us to rely on him more and more. So, like, in human life, becoming mature is learning to wean yourself off the help of your parents. But in terms of Christ, being a Christian, actually becoming mature as a Christian is learning to rely on God more and more and more. And that kind of goes for, like, if we, if we are trying to break a habit or if we're trying to become a better person or whatever and you know we can sometimes become a bit of a better person you know by God's help or just because 
we're feeling happier because the sun's shining. And then we can be like, I've got this sorted. I don't need to rely on God anymore. You never graduate from having to rely on God. It's, it's not that kind of relationship. It's always a father-child relationship. And God will work out his plans in our lives. That's number five. Resolve to live in those plans. Now, when we say plans, huh? There is no five. Oh, no. Okay. Just imagine there's a number five. <laughs> and it's about God working out his plans in your life. Look, there's even a picture of a plan on the, on the side, but clearly I've got to write it up. So when we think of plans, we tend to think of that as being like in the future, like in the distance, always out of reach. But actually, God has plans for now. And so resolve to live in those plans. They don't just apply to your future, like now. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Amazing plan. <laughs> so that, that's really all I wanted to say. But I think I'm going to hand over to Quincy. And what I really want you think, to think about while we're having a time of reflection and time of work, work time, the time of worship is like, what are God's plans here for you tonight? Tonight, not just like plans in the future, but tonight. And what is God calling you to be, be obedient to tonight? Thank you.